Hi there, and welcome to the Grief and Rebirth podcast. I'm your host, author and trauma survivor, Irene Weinberg, here to encourage you wherever you are in your healing journey. In each episode, I chat with incredible grief and trauma specialists, healers, mediums, and celebs, as well as remarkable people who have inspiring healing stories to share. If you're looking for a podcast that's both uplifting and inspiring, you've found it. Let us help you find your joy in life. Hi, everyone. I hope this finds each of you so very well. I'm speaking to you from my studio in West Orange, New Jersey. Absolutely delighted to have this opportunity to interview author, coach, and consultant David Richman, who will be speaking to us today from Henderson, Nevada. In addition to being an author, coach, and consultant, David is an endurance athlete, a financial services professional, and a public speaker who applies the lessons he has learned in his life to enrich and inspire others. For example, as a former sedentary, overweight smoker, David discovered that he needed to focus not on what others wanted out of him, but on what he wanted out of life. So in his first book, Winning in the Middle of the Pack, Realizing True Success in Business and in Life, David discussed how to get more out of ourselves than we ever imagined. A consummate endurance athlete, David has completed over 50 triathlons, including 15 Ironman distance triathlons during the last 15 years. An Ironman triathlon encompasses a 2.5-mile swim, a 112-mile bike, and a 26.2-mile run. He has also completed more than 50 runs longer than marathon distance, including four consecutive marathons totaling 104 miles and a 45-day, 4,700-mile solo bike ride across the country. David's beautifully written and incredibly moving second book is titled Cycle of Lives, 15 People's Stories, 5,000 Miles, and a Journey Through the Emotional Chaos of Cancer. It portrays 15 individual cancer stories as it also shares David's grueling journey riding his bike 5,000 miles coast to coast, meeting each of the individuals featured in his book in person along the way. If you or someone you care about is going through cancer or some other major trauma, this thought-provoking collection of astonishing stories can surely help you and inspire you. By the way, David was raised in Southern California and splits his time between San Diego and Las Vegas. He recently remarried. His wife, Erin, is a successful attorney and he has college-age twins. There is no doubt, this is no doubt, going to be a remarkable and touching interview with a very remarkable man. I have many questions for David, but first we need to take a quick minute to show some love to our sponsors. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hi, David. A warm, heartfelt welcome to Grief and Rebirth podcast. Thank you, Irene. I'm really very excited to talk with you. I'm very excited about it. Thank you for having me. Oh, I, 
First of all, you're amazing. And second of all, everyone you don't see, David, well, those of you who are tuned in for YouTube, you can see this is a great, a really nice man. Yeah, I mean, he just exudes it. You can tell. Thank you. Uh, and amazing. I mean, I'm exhausted just reading all that he's done. <laughs> I would like to wear myself out, don't I? <laughs> Let's start with this question, David. Your cycle trip started as a fundraiser to honor your cherished sister, June. Please tell us about your family dynamic, your relationship with June, and where you were emotionally about June at the beginning of the trip. Well, um, thank you again for having me, Irene. So, you know, um, when I set out to do the bike ride, I had already talked to many, many, many people in anticipation of having them potentially be in the book, right? But then I came down to like the 15 that were really going to be in there. And I said, I'm going to put this plan together to connect them because I wanted to connect all these stories of, of, of trauma and grief and hope and inspiration. And what better way to connect them than to go see them all since I had been talking to them for a while. So I was kind of ready emotionally to go on this quest to go see what these people were like in person since I had been talking to them so long, you know, two, three years sometimes uh, on the phone. I got to know them so intimately. So on the one hand, I was super excited. And on the other hand, um, you know, to, to the point of your question, um, I was interested to kind of take the time to explore the emotional side of what my journey had gone through with my sister. And uh, my family dynamics are very odd, like, you know, most, most people's are. Um, I had a rather old father, very young mother, um, uh, not close to either one really. And then who I was close to was my sister and I had lost her to cancer several years before. It was brain um, cancer, right, David? Was brain yeah, it was brain, brain cancer. And um, she had a husband and, and two young kids and a bunch of friends and a really wonderful, vibrant life that, you know, got cut short. And when I was seeing what she was going through and the people that it brought me in, the awareness of like you become aware of what, you know, different things at different times in your life. And I became aware of this dynamic of people not dealing with their grief, not understanding how to deal with the emotional side of the trauma that they're going through or the emotional side of the trauma that others are going through. And although I explored that with a bunch of other people, when I went um, for the bike ride, I knew that I was going to have to explore that with myself. And I felt like the bike ride was going to give me the perfect uh, vehicle with which to kind of go down that that path of how I'm dealing with my own uh, grief and my own emotions. So you're saying that you were not really that in touch yet with your grief over your sister or you hadn't sorted it out yet? Yeah, I hadn't sorted it out yet. I mean, and I had done, you know, year after year after year, I'd done like a, 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 a fundraiser, usually always around an endurance athletic event. And, you know, I talked about her and all this but the weird dynamic was that um for some reason um her her family her husband kids and their big wonderful extended family um just weren't we weren't i wasn't interacting with them they weren't interacting with me for whatever reason they just weren't ready to do that um and then i didn't have family on my own other than my kids so and really didn't have any childhood friends that had known us both and 
so I was kind of out there on an island by myself. Yeah, you were isolated that way. Yeah. And so um, although it was in my head, like you said, I hadn't processed it. I hadn't come to terms with it. I hadn't really, um, you know, manifested all of the different aspects of it. And I felt like I needed to force myself to do that. Dude, that's amazing. And, and so your inspiration to write the book kind of centered on what you'd gone through with your sister for yourself. And there were other reasons too, I'm sure. Yeah. And, and so why did you, what led you to do this project? So um, one of the benefits that I had going through this with my sister was we had plenty of chances to talk. And um, how long was she sick, David? She was sick for about four years. Um, And, you know, I remember parts of it real vividly and other parts I don't remember that well. It's not like, um, you know, we lived in the same house or anything, right? She had her family and friends and job and back and forth to healthcare and I had my kids and back and forth to see her and our lives and whatever. Um, so we had a lot of interaction, but we definitely did a lot of talking. And um, I think we both knew that we were uniquely tied together to our pasts with no other strings there. Cause you know, we just didn't have relationships with extended family or friends. Right. right. Our childhood. So we knew we were gonna lose that. And I think that brought us closer together. Sure to be able to talk about these things. And um, so I was lucky enough, I didn't have these conversations with her. So I was able to navigate some of the heavy issues or really understand some of the heavy issues. You know, like you can imagine somebody saying, um, the thing I'm really gonna miss is watching my kids grow up. But until you talk to somebody about that, who's going through the prospect of not being able to do that, then you don't really know what it's like. Right. And I knew a little bit of that from her. And she was very brave and very open with me to talk about these things. But um, we didn't, you know, I didn't personally take it much beyond that. And then I noticed that um, when I was doing these events and I was coming into contact with a tremendous amount of people, survivors and loved ones and professionals and uh, uh, family members and friends and co-workers or whatever, that people were really good, I mean, about talking about like the tasks around the cancer. How do I navigate my job? Um, how do I get my kids some extra care while I'm, I'm going to chemo or whatever, but they weren't real good at talking about the emotions. And I just saw that over and over and over again. And I said, well, if I could bring these really dynamic, interesting, evocative stories. Um, and I had to go find them, obviously. But if I could find these types of stories and and the people would allow me to get super deep into their stories um, so that I could tell them, then maybe we might be able to be more equipped, uh, have better tools to be able to talk about the emotional side, to deal with the emotional side. And it's a pretty lofty goal to say, I'm gonna try to help spur these conversations. But um, every step along the way, Irene, I got reinforced the thought of people don't know how to deal with that emotional side. Yeah, and then I, I can understand. How long was, um, had she passed between, how long was it between her passing and yep. starting to write this project, write the book? So it was probably about uh, six or seven years maybe a tiny bit longer. Um, but I think I got the idea, like I had done event, like the, 
the, the year that she passed, the, the following year, a couple years, couple years, couple. And then I, I just said, you know what? We I got to start doing something about this. That's a little bit more than just doing an event and raising some money and trying to keep her memory alive. That's your, you know, or feeling like I'm you know, honoring her memory or whatever the heck was going on. And so it was about six or eight years. So enough time, but not like 30 years later. Right, 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 right. No, that's, well, actually you had like kind of that five year benchmark mm -hmm. that they talk about to, to work through a lot of the, to process a lot, but there was still mm -hmm. more to go, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I want everyone to know that we're talking about the part of the book where David focuses on all these amazing stories of cancer, but there's another sidebar to this book for anyone who is an athlete or a, uh, a cycler or a marathon runner or whatever, David's story of his actual trip and what he went through finding each of these interviews is like a whole other sidebar that goes with his story, but it's fascinating all on its own. There's so much richness that you can get in many ways from the story. So David, how did you choose and what are the different relationships to cancer um, for those you interviewed? Because they weren't just cancer survivors. And what kinds of questions did you ask each of your interview? Oof, yeah, so um, how did I get the people, Irene? I asked around, I asked uh, friends, um, I asked um, my fiance at the time, my now wife, um, I, I talked to people at work um i cold called cancer centers wow and i said hey this is my project do you know anybody interesting um and then once i had kind of the a group of people that i could talk to then i what i wanted to do was cover a spectrum so i didn't want all young people all old people specific type of cancer i i wanted people that you know, like, um, like your brotherhood cancer five times and survived and some people that were one and done. And it was like nothing to them. Um, people that encountered it when they were young, when they were old, um, people that had a wide range of emotions, people that had, uh, varying and very, uh, evocative and interesting traumas that had happened in their lives prior to encountering cancer. So that when people read these stories and when they heard, where people had come from, they might be able to better identify with them. And so it really, I, I, the, the one mistake that I've made in this is, is, is not really a book about cancer. It's more a book about how to talk to people that are going through trauma. It just happens to be about cancer. So I don't um, think that's a mistake. I think that's a wonderful aspect of your book. Yeah. And, and just the fact that I didn't mention it enough, you know, that it's, that it's that. And, and I've had so much feedback and people go, Oh, I thought I was going to read the book and it's going to be so heavy, but it's, it's inspirational. Right. It's hopeful. And I, I could probably do a better job of that because it is, it's not a, it's a heavy book, but it's not like a, it, it's not a depressing book. No, it's, it's not, not at all. It doesn't bring you down. So how I got them to, uh, talk to me or what kind of questions I asked Irene is I said look we have to get to the essence of you and what what happened in your life to form the way that you have dealt with cancer as a caregiver as a patient as a survivor as a loved one you know um, if you were abused as a child that would have an effect on how you deal with things Absolutely. or abandoned um, at the altar that would affect how you would deal with it. So there are these crazy amounts of 
um, digging I had to do with people to understand who they were prior to when they encountered the cancer. And then as they went through their cancer journey as patient, loved one, friend, survivor, caregiver, whatever, um, how, how did their emotional journey go in kind of context of these bigger issues that were behind them? Um, because I thought that's where the where we could identify and connect with people. So I, I basically uh, asked them a thousand questions, but the most important one was, would you let me ask you questions that, um, that nobody else has asked you or that you maybe have been uh, unwilling or unable to answer before? And if the answer was a little hesitancy, I, I had to move on. I had to, uh, and people had to allow me to go super, super deep and, and, we discovered a lot because of it. And yeah. that's, that's what I- I some of your questions got helped with some of these people to process further too. Uh, I'll bet. You've got some great stories about people in who you wrote about in the book. So I've, I've chosen three. Yeah. So tell us first about Rick, the elite athlete who mm -hmm. had to reckon with his all-star body, finally letting him down, which is an issue so many of us grapple with when it comes to our aging bodies. Mm -hmm. How did you connect with Rick? How did his story of cancer motivate him to let go of his need to control? That is, that's a lesson in any scenario. And how did that turn into gratitude for, for Rick? Yeah, and boy, boy, don't you know it more than anybody that you cannot control life, right? Not at all. <laughs> Not even for a minute. Like, ah, ah, I feel out of control. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. No kidding. Once you realize that, then all things are good because you're just not in control. But this was a uh, Olympic caliber athlete who um, really was so confident in his ability to handle life that he didn't even really take uh, much mentorship, even from coaches or whatever. I mean, he was, you know, the king of his domain. And when he finally had to come, what kind to, of what kind of uh, athletics did he do? He was a, a world class runner, okay. cyclist, triathlete. Wow, uh, man after your own heart. Yeah, exactly. So that's why I tracked him down, right? I tracked him down for for, the, for that reason. Uh, I knew he had had prostate cancer, um, and then um, I knew it came back. And so um, I, 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 he had had it at different points in his life. I knew a little bit about his story because kind of a public figure. And um, and I said, man, I, I got to figure out how, how when you're forced, if you're in, so in control and if you're forced to lose control, like, where do you go? What do you do? How, how can, how, you know, so for him, it was really tough journey because he had to admit that he wasn't as strong as he was. He had to admit that he was mortal and frail. And, but yet he had to also rely on his strength and his belief in himself. So it's a crazy dynamic. Like, you know, how, how do you know you can handle what you can handle until you have the confidence to know you can handle it and you're tested. It's a, it's a concept I think everybody can understand. Sure. And so, um, so that's, that's the main, you know, thrux of what we, of what we discovered together. Right. And then he, but in the story, it says that, and when I read his story, yeah. that all of this that he learned turned into gratitude for him. It, it did. And um, so for him, he had a, a bit of a religious awakening. Um, he 
uh, one of his very few mentors uh, introduced him to, um, to God and he developed some faith and he realized that there was a power stronger than him that he could give into and not feel bad about himself. He could feel better about himself. That was number one. Number two is he could determine that people could love him, his, his second wife, um, for who he was and not the things that he did. And um, when you can be yourself and be loved and not have to be something else and be loved, that's a way that you can have gratitude. Um, and I think the third thing that he realized is that he became comfortable with the fact that he wasn't immortal. Like he used to be afraid of failing. And once he realized that life isn't about crossing that finish line, right? It's just about getting to wherever all the finish lines are. Right. Then he was able to kind of like be grateful for what he had gone through and the difficult times and the pluses and the minuses in his life and just kind of sit back and realize, yeah, this is good. Like life is good. That's so, so important because I think a lot of people learn those lessons with different roots to them. Mm -hmm. But I found that when I was reading these stories, I felt gratitude too, because I would read these stories and go, wow, look at what this person came through. Yeah. To a happy ending. And look at, look what he did. I think reading your book helps a person to say, listen, I'm going through all kinds of stuff, but if this person could make it through this, there's yeah. hope for me. I can make it through too. Yeah. And, and that's a, that's a great observation. And one of the biggest lessons that I learned in this is I know that we all know, you never know what people are going through. I know we all know that. And I know we all say it, but to really know that you really have no idea what people are going through and right. what they might've gone through five minutes ago, five years ago, 50 years ago, that might be having a profound effect on the way that they are right now at this moment. It's, it's really a humbling thing to really understand a wider perspective on that thought of people go through a lot. Yes. And, you know, it was really interesting, super quick. I mean, is that, is that each person told me, ah, I don't know why you want to talk to me. My story's not that interesting. And then you get into it and you're like, oh my God, that's like the most interesting story I've ever heard. But people are just living their life, right? They don't, they don't know what's interesting or not interesting about them because they're just them. They're just doing they're what just they do. doing their thing. Right. But when you try to put yourself into somebody else's shoes to see what they've gone through, it's just like, whoa, that's where the real growth and learning comes from. That's right. It's so true. So on that note, tell us about Neil, who lost his wife of 30 years to cancer. Mm -hmm. She left him with five children to raise. Mm -hmm. How did you connect with Neil and how did supporting his wife's journey through cancer bring him both grief and relief? Yeah, grief and relief. That's a tough, that's a really remarkable, remarkable story. And um, I met uh, them through a friend. I actually met them through uh, when she was still alive. And I asked if they wanted to be a part of the project and they declined. Um, they were just going through too much. And about a year and a half later, I got a call from my friend who said that um, that his wife had died and that he might be in a position to talk to me again. What type and of cancer did she have? Bra brain cancer as well. Brain cancer uh, as well. Yeah, geoblastoma that that took her very very quickly. And um, uh, and and what was what was remarkable about that story is um, that the 
the positive that was taken out of her diagnosis. And it's, it's shocking to me now, it's still shocking to me. And I almost feel bad when I tell people that she smiled when she heard that she had a grapefruit sized tumor in her brain and that she was grateful for it. People go, that's not even remotely possible. And then when I tell them the whole story, they go, oh my gosh, that makes absolute sense. And so, um, so how in the world could you imagine that somebody could be grateful for that kind of uh, news? Well, if you knew their whole story, you would understand it. And then you would go, oh yeah, I don't know what people are going through. That's right. Right. Because uh, in a, in a mm -hmm. nutshell, I mean, people will read the book or they won't, but in a nutshell, they had become so angry at each other and were fighting so much and had this wonderful life that was being torn apart by what was to her a uh, ever continuing decline into emotional and mental unhealth. And it got so bad that in a moment of clarity, she looked at her husband and said, you need to commit me. I need to be committed. It's me. I'm completely crazy. And I'm, I, I need to figure out what's going on. And so she thought that she was at the end of their life, uh, at the end of the road, uh, their life together, 25 years of marriage. They had made it through losing a, a baby. They, they had raised uh, or were in the process of raising their kids. Um, they had done these wonderful and traumatic and, you know, things. And it was coming to an end because she was going crazy. And it was the tumor that probably was pressing on her brain, right? It was yes. changing her. So when... Uh, he got a call from the uh, admitting physician who had done the series of tests they do when you get committed to a mental institution. Um, they uh, they called him up and said, you need to get down here right now. We amassed a, 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 a team. We have to perform emergency surgery on your wife. She's got a great food tumor in her head. And um, he, he raced to the hospital at three in the morning and mental hospital at three in the morning, grabbed her hand and she looked at him like, what's going on? And he told her what the doctor had said. And she smiled and she said, thank God it's not me. Yep. She knew she wasn't mentally ill. It was, she was sick. Wow. And so the relief came from the fact that they really did have their love and their experiences and their life together really was as real and deep and as permanent as it as they had both hoped it would have been before this kind of decline. And that decline was not based on a, a, a loss of their love or her going crazy or him pushing her away. It wasn't any of that. It, right. it was, it was the cancer. I could understand how he grieved her. And I mm -hmm. could also understand the relief that she was out of her problem, out of her issue, out of her pain. And that she, um, you know, nobody's going to die happy in this instance, but I think that she had some peace to it. Some peace to it, do you know? And, 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 and they worked on that knowing that she was going to die. They worked on that. And, um, uh, and, and it really is a touching story. It's, it's really, a, a, yeah, that's why I chose it. It's a beautiful story and it's a, a, there's a, it's a love story too. Oh, very much so. Very much so. <clears throat> so now please tell us about Dr. Marlene Myers, the medical oncologist who cares as much about her patients as she cares for them. How does she deal with delivering a terminal diagnosis and how has caring for people with cancer affected her perspective on life? Yeah, her story is, I put it. Each story is amazing, David. 
Thank you. I know I put it last. Well, it's either last or next to last. I put it at the end for a reason because I think that it's important for all of us to know that if we ever do come a point where we're a patient that needs the care of a physician, we have to learn that physicians are going through things too. Right? It's not well, just- Well, I a- hear a lot of times people complain that a physician is like wood, you know, they wish they had more of a bedside manner yeah. and all of that. She sounds like the antithesis of that. She does. So her story is super interesting. And the reason, Irene, that I was able to be so excited to bring her story was because when I had one of my first conversations with her, I said, Dr. Myers, um, I need to ask you things that, um, that you don't talk to your husband about. And she goes, yeah, that's fine. Cause you know, he's a very successful man. We don't really talk about our work at that deep level. And I said, okay, good. Well, at least things you don't talk to your girlfriends about. And she said, what? No, we don't, we don't talk about our problems and our work issues because we go to the museum, we go on hikes, we do this, we do that. They were doers. Right. And I said, well, then we have to talk about things that you don't talk to your peers about. And she started laughing and she said, I'm a woman doctor. You think I talk to my colleagues <laughs> about emotions, right? And I said, well, well, who have you talked to about what you've gone through being an oncologist for 40 years? And she says, besides you? And I went, oh my goodness, there's gotta be some wow. story. There. And so her story is really, I'm not gonna make it um, simple, Uh, But the storyline is really simple to understand. And that is that when she started out as an oncologist and she would see somebody and they would help with their own diagnoses. Oh yeah. I know you're telling me it's breast cancer, but I'm going to eat better. I'm going to sleep better. I'm going to take the stress out of my life. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. She would say, okay, well, yes. And then come back to me when you're ready and whatever. Then then she marries, she has a wonderful daughter, she's a great life, builds a great practice, has all this wonderful stuff happen in her life. And now she's to the point where she's got a lot of experience. She really knows a lot about cancer, wellness, survivorship, a lot, right? She's, a, she's, a, she's, she's one of the best. And somebody comes to her and says, hey, um, yeah, I know you gave me that diagnosis, but I'm going to you know, rest better. I'm going to take this trauma out of my life. I'm going to sleep better, eat better. Blah, blah, blah. She's like, no, I won't see you. You're going to let me take care of you the way you need to be taken care of, or I can't see you. And that's because I know that I can make your life better. I might be able to cure you. I might be able to lengthen your life, but I, I can't waste any time because you're going to miss out on all of this wonderful stuff. And now I know that, right? I know that. So I, I love the idea of her being so confident in her knowledge of and so desperate to help people to prevent them from missing out on the long life and the wonderful memories that they could have or early on in her life she didn't have that perspective she became very empowered yeah it's just a wonderful wonderful story and she overcame some really difficult things in her childhood as well that i thought were just spectacular and really spoke to why she cares so much about other people. And it's a wonderful story to learn. Wow. Another, another story of you don't even know what's going on for your doctor. Yeah. When uh, you're delivering whatever. Wow. Now you in your book talk about the value of both self-reliance and depending on others. You want to tell us a little bit about that? (laughs) Yeah. I, I, uh... okay. So, if you're if you're running a marathon, right? Um, 
nobody's moving your legs but you. So you got to have some amount of self-reliance. But there's and trust me, everyone, when he's moving his legs and you're reading about it, you're you're exhausted. Just follow him. <laughs> Fair, <laughs> Fair enough. But you, but there are aid stations along the way. And if you're not willing to take the help from people, then you can't continue to empower yourself. So I guess that's a really good analogy. I just came up with it on the spot. But um, I did run into so many trials and tribulations on that bike ride. You did. Where, um, and it was funny. I mean, how when I was in trouble and I needed help, um, usually there was somebody there. And well, now you're talking my language <laughs> with my yeah. story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. But then at other times there wouldn't be anybody there. And when trouble came, I was just like, I'm not going to give into it. So I think that there's um, lessons that we can learn that when you have people that are caring about you and want to help you and things become difficult, you need to rely on them. Let it and happen. You know that you can't rely on somebody at a particular time or through a particular instance, then you, you, you don't make that a negative. Turn inward and rely on yourself, because you know you will be a thousand times stronger. Um, both instances, both when you don't have a support network and you gotta get through something tough, you'll be a thousand times stronger. And by the way, when you have a support network and you're able to give in to them, you'll find a thousand times more strength in that. It's just this weird thing that you got to figure out along the way of, you know, how, how do I know I'm going to do something? And also, how can I accept help? That's, those are hard concepts for, for me. For many people, very yeah. hard. It's not a black and white world. You had to learn to be able to swim with both. Or yeah, and both. Both are great and both are very difficult. Yeah. Like how am I ever going to do this? And how am I ever going to let other people help me do this? Because I don't want to look weak or I don't want to burden them or I don't, I don't want to feel guilty or they don't really care about me or all the millions of other things that go through our head that if you have the strength to give in to people, it will make you stronger. And if you, if you believe in yourself, that makes you stronger too. It's this weird thing, but I tried it through storytelling and uh, 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 through some uh, relaying some of the, the, the stories of people that I met along the way, try to give some really uh, specific examples of both sides of that equation to have people go, oh yeah, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, that's great. Tell us about your friend, Jerry and his family and how, and how his family drew your attention to the need to form more heart-centered, meaningful connections with the people around us by talking about the emotional aspects of cancer and the traumas people endure, which not only leads people to start healing, which my bottom line also helps people to heal. Yeah. Jerry had a great story about that. He had a great story and he's a, he's a good friend. And it was maybe like um, a week and a half into it, Irene. And um each day I was reinforced with the thought of this project is going to make an effect on people, have a positive effect on people because I'm continually coming up against this. Yeah. I don't know how to deal with the emotional side of it. And so that it was becoming more and more reinforced. So Jerry says to me, he says, Hey, you're coming through New Mexico. I want you to meet my family. We, they want to take you to brunch, um, you know, and, and power you on and, and feel good about it. I said, great. 
So we show up at this restaurant and his dad is like in his eighties, pulls me aside and he starts talking to me about, he had gone through cancer and how difficult it was and raising his family and his wife and the whole thing and blah, 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 blah. And he said, and you know, people just don't talk about their emotions and about this, about this cancer. And it's so important what you're doing. I'm, I'm really glad you're writing this book. I went, wow, that's great. Then his daughter, who's, you know, maybe late forties, early fifties, Jerry's sister, um, brings, pulls me aside and said, Hey, you know, I, I went through cancer. I had breast cancer and, and, um, um, uh, stage three, you know, surgery and chemotherapy and radiation and it kind of changed my career. And it's really had a profound and lasting effect on me. And the emotional side of it is so difficult. I'm so glad that you're doing this because people really need to learn how to talk about the emotional side. So I'm thinking to myself, well, on the one hand, it's so great that this big family is so close. And on the other hand, I'm kind of like, well, I guess people do know how to deal with their emotions. Oh, well, I'm not going to give another thought. So at the end of that brunch, I mean, I'm, I'm talking to people or I get up and I say, hey, I just want to thank you. And I look over at the dad and I say, you know, it's not every family that talks about the emotional side of their, of their cancer. And he puts his hands down and he, and he does this and I, and I, and I go, huh? And I look at the daughter and I go, you know, with you and what you went through, knowing what your dad went through and being able to deal with the emotional side. And she was kind of like, and I go, what? And it turns out neither one had talked to the other. Wow. Wow. Because they all, be, and I said, but you both just told me how important it is. And they go, it is important. We just haven't done it because we don't know how. Like, like he says, oh, I, I didn't want her to feel, I didn't want to burden my family. I'm old school. I didn't want to burn. Then she says, I don't want to burden my father because I don't want to make him feel guilty. He might lose a daughter. I don't want to bring up what he might've gone through in the past. And I don't blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, Oh my God, that's exactly the reason why. Exactly why you're writing a book. Exactly. So um, that was a wonderful uh, reinforcer of the fact that um, people just are not equipped to deal with the emotional side of it. Now they eventually did. And it's a wonderful, wonderful story, how and why, and when I got the news that they had finally sat down to talk and laugh and cry and, and, and deal with their emotional side of this whole thing for each of them and them together. Uh, that's another great story in the book, but, um, but it just reinforced again for me, how, how just, it's not trite. People just don't know how to deal with it. They don't know how to deal with it. I want to get a flag or a banner and say, therapy, 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 or go <laughs> and get some help, you know, uh, yeah. or go to Grief for Rebirth podcast. There are people there who can help you. Um, <laughs> your, your cycling odyssey transformed into a journey of emotional self-discovery for you. Mm-hmm. Were you, where were you emotionally about June and your family at the end of your trip? What did you process? What is yet to be processed? Please share your personal healing story during this experience with us. Now you get to be transparent. Yeah. And that's so funny because um, my wife says, oh, everybody, you always brag how everybody says their story isn't interesting. And then they start talking about you and you go, ah, my story's not interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, uh, on the one hand, I was able to process some of that that emotion right I was able to come to terms with cer- certain things and kind of one of the things I had to come to terms with is that I'm, I'm never going to be able to go into the past and rebuild the kind of family I wish that I would have been given right and I think that I kind of always um, carried a chip on my shoulder about that I kind of let most of that go 
Mm. You know, I kind of let most of that go because, Good you know, you. You, yeah, you can't go into the past and rewrite it. You, you, you know, I can't make my parents be any different than they are. I can't go in and change the way things happened. Um, and so I kind of had to let that go. Um, and, and, and I felt better about letting that go. Um, so that's one thing I did. Um, I think that uh, I feel like it's okay to say that June would have been proud of what I'm doing. And I don't know before I did that bike ride, if I would have allowed myself to say that it's a hard thing to do to um, give yourself a compliment like that. Do you but know my world with what I've been through? I know she is proud of what you're doing. That's really sweet. And, and, and then she's and around it, you. Yeah. And it's really sweet. And I feel like I'm a little more comfortable knowing that. And, you know, um, uh, uh, I, I don't, I, I try not to be driven by ego. I, you know, I, but I like, like it's, it's difficult, right? I know the book's really, really good. Right? I know it's really Excellent. good. Right? Yeah. Thank you. But on the other hand, I, I kind of feel, you know, awkward saying it's really good because I'm the one that wrote it. Right. So well, that's my job to say it's really good. Ah. <laughs> well, my editor said it's really good and she's a tough, she's a tough cookie. It's so like, I'll take her advice. But <laughs> I think what I yeah, I think what I did is I, I I I did process stuff and I let certain things go that needed to be let go and I accepted certain things that needed to be accepted, you know, yeah. and that that that's that's all we can ask, right? That's what's true. Um, you have a fundraiser every year in your sister's memory, and maybe some people are going to be touched with this interview and want to donate. So could you give us some details about that? Sure. So the best way to donate is um, I, uh, when I asked, when I interviewed everybody and I interviewed them for a long time, I said, Hey, do you have a particular cancer focused or other nonprofit that you're uh, committed to? And uh, because I want to give a hundred percent of the proceeds from the book to those organizations. So um, if you buy the book, Anything, any money that comes to me, 100% of that goes out to the different organizations that were um, chosen by the book participants. You've got, you know, NYU, Perlmutter Cancer Center, the Moffitt Cancer Center, American Cancer Society, all these other great cancer wellness community, all these great uh, organizations that have that these people really cared about. So that's the that's the best way to do it. Um, you know, do they get on your website? How do they make a donation? So, so uh, the Cycle of Lives is actually a registered 501c3. We're a nonprofit. So they can buy the book um, through my website or make a donation to my website. And then what we do is we just go support additional um, cancer-focused uh, organizations that I come into contact with that I think are great, uh, doing great things. And that my book and my mission speaks to their mission and their values. And it's just, it's just a wonderful thing. So um there's full transparency there. It's just wonderful. It's cycleoflives.org and they can, they can just uh, support either um, a by I list the charities that we support uh, on that website. So they can, they can, and they can communicate with me directly to find out more information. It's a wonderful way to memorialize someone also by giving mm -hmm. uh, to, to your, to your charity, yeah, to your fundraiser. Yes. Yeah. And what are the best ways? Is it all through cycle of lives? Dot org. What are the best ways to connect with you? And do you have a special offer today for the members of our Grief and Rebirth podcast audience? Sure. So um, best way to reach me is just con contact me. It's it's through the website, cycleoflives.org. Um, it, it just says contact David and the email comes directly to me. 
Um, so you can contact with me that way. Um, as far as a special offer, I'll tell you, look, um, I'm trying to raise money for these uh, charities, but that's not the only thing that matters, right? What matters, a bigger goal, because everybody can raise money and there's a lot of people out there going to raise a lot more money than me. But what I'm hoping the bigger goal is, is to start these conversations. So if you do go to the website and you uh, put in an order for a book, then I'll send you an ebook for free. Just there's a little place you could put a code. Just just put the code Irene, and I'll know I'll know what that is, and I can send you a, a free ebook. If you don't have the money to afford a book, or you can't really buy one right now, no problem. Just send me a little note in the contact David and say send me a free ebook. I'd love to do that. Oh, that's wonderful, David. And I yeah. know that we'll put that information. We'll link all that information Thank and everything you. for Thank everybody you. too. And yeah. you, of all people, what is you've been through so much? What is your tip for finding joy in life, David Richmond? My tip for finding joy in life is to spend whatever time you can with yourself. Self love. Now, with self love, it really is. Um, it's, and it's a hard concept to understand because uh, self-love is not um, a going for a, um, you know to a good movie or having wine with your girlfriends. That's not self-love. Um, it's fun and that's good stuff and it's healthy. But what's really healthy, I think for me, finding and where you can find joy is uh, being alone with yourself, whether it's five minutes or for me, like I love going on a, like a five hour bike ride. And just talking about things in my own head and being okay and trying to figure out how to be a better person and how to accept myself better and the things I do wrong and the things I do well. And I, I think uh, really it, it's, it, it'll help you become a better parent, better friend, a better human being to yourself. And so I think, I think that's where I found the most joy is in um, spending time with myself to try to focus on and not just accidentally go through life, but focus on how do I be a better human being for me and for others. It sounds to me like from where you started, you've made a lot of progress in this, in, as we would say in this lifetime. Good for you. Thanks. David. Long way to go. Long way to go. I'm a couple <laughs> steps in, but I'll figure it out. <laughs> David, I just love the hopeful tone. You strike in your book, Cycle of Lives even though it's about cancer. The book is uplifting, inspirational, and comforting, and compelling, and healing. I am sure that many in our Grief and Rebirth podcast audience now want to read Cycle of Lives and will want to recommend it to others for various reasons. Congratulations, David, on completing an incredibly challenging, courageous, and grueling journey, riding your bike 5,000 miles coast to coast, the insights illumined via your poignant interviews and the healing you yourself experienced writing about it. And thank you from my heart for this very inspiring and very wise interview. And here's a loving reminder, everyone, that you can see the show notes and all Grief and Rebirth podcast episodes on IreneWeinberg.com. And make sure to follow us and like us on social at at Irene S. Weinberg on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. As I like to say, to be continued, many blessings and bye for now. Mm -hmm.